Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lalo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And we are pulling back the layers of black male humanity to look at what's true, what's authentic, what's deep. Co-creating space for black men to explore their humanity, blackness, maleness, and everything in between to fully introduce themselves. Emmanuel Omponsa, a young African brother from Ghana, honors his heritage, blackness, and culture. An emerging scholar who constructs his identity from his educational and military experience is having doubts and fears. Come join us as we ask the questions that uncover the feelings that uncover the truth. He questions his purpose and reveals his uncertainty in the midst of social unrest. COVID-19, and this rising political pandemic. Come, let me introduce myself. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself, where we are pulling back the layers of Black identity to look at manhood, Black manhood, and all of its complexity. Today, we are welcoming Emmanuel Omponsa to our show, and we thank you for showing up, brother. And what we'd like to start with is just letting you in your own way, in your own words, just introduce yourself. My name is Emmanuel Boafu Amponsa. Boafu is my middle name. I was born in West Africa, Ghana, originally. I was born in Ofensu, Ghana, um, West Africa. Um, my family and I, we immigrated to the United States um, back in 1998. I was four and a half years old at the time. And just growing up in America, you know, it's been a little bit complex for me, dealing with not only my African identity, but also dealing with the American identity also, you know. You know, just being African by virtue, um, being a Ghanaian, to be in fact, to be exact. And we have a strong tie to the community. We have a saying within the Ghanaian community, it's called Enyema Mienu. You know, so like we're all tightly closed. Oh, there's no competition, you know, amongst us. And like just understanding, you know, the air of competition that is, you know, found within the West, found in American society, you know, it's been something that I've been always grasping and grappling with all my life, you know. So just understanding these two realities has really been the two focal points that have really, you know, formed myself and formed my sense of being living in America. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. And in this conversation, we, we try to be real and honest. And this is like really pulling back a layer of Black men as we meet them, talk to them. So we're going to ask, how are you feeling today? Like, especially under circumstances in the place you are right now, how are you really feeling? I'm feeling confused, feeling upset, feeling anxious, and just feeling lost. You know, just a sense of hopelessness, not a sense of hopelessness, but a sense of helplessness, you know, just really not knowing what to do, not really knowing how the world or the direction in which the world is going. And just understanding myself as, not only as a Black man, but understanding myself as a, I wouldn't say alpha or a dominant type individual, but understanding that, you know, I always have a sense of direction, a sense of structure, and a sense of knowing what the next day or the day, how the day is going to go, you know, just everything being shut down, having, you know, not having access to the things that I'm usually able to have access to, you know, it stripped me bare and made me understand that, you know, all the things that, that made me or I felt to believe made me whole really 
wasn't what the things that made me whole. You know, if I make any sense. No, that makes sense. Total sense and real. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's just this reality is actually it, it reminds me of this book I was reading. Uh, it's by Henry Nowen. Yeah. Henry Nowen. You know, in the name of Jesus, and you know, he wrote in this text saying that in times of uncertainty, in times of understanding, or in times of uncertainty and just moving into a new environment or moving into a new social cultural context i mean everything that we have come to know everything that we tend to place upon ourselves really means nothing you know so right now i feel exposed i feel naked i feel far removed into bare life you know just trying to just find something that will give me meaning i mean just putting into the context of you know my my black identity and just thinking about it like i mean removing our our titles like our education our jobs everything right what do we have else in a racist america you know just think about that you know what else do we have and that sense of nakedness that sense of not having anything that sense of inaction you know has really made me think more so about my liminal existence within america just putting into context, you know, my racial identity as a black man, you know, and it's kind of emasculating. That's a really interesting word, the emasculating part, just in terms of the social structures, your work, your education, and the things that construct actually your identity. Exactly. Have been pulled away. uh, Exactly. You know, I mean, even just growing up, you know, you know, traditionally, you know, I feel as if, you know, as a, as a black man or as an African man, you know, especially in my household, I've been raised up to be strong, to be, just be strong, you know, that typical male masculinity, you know, but like, it's all been taken away. I, I'm in the military right now. I'm in the U.S. Army, you know, and, you know, just even that has been taken away from me. I'm still in the military right now. You know, I haven't even put on my uniform in almost four months now, three months now. And I feel like COVID-19 has even, you know, made it even worse. I'm required to attend drill every every two days out of the month, you know, and just the thought of even putting on that that uniform, thought of putting on that OCP, just wearing my boots, you know, just just heading out, you know, it's a sense of masculinity for me. It's a sense of identity for me, you know, but not having contact, not having that reach of service, that sense of service to my country, you know, is actually making me feel as if though, like outside of those titles, outside of my service to the country, you know, what am I actually, you know, and then that's, I hope I'm not rambling, you know, but. You actually, you just actually led into our next question. So keep on going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's one thing, you know, but like, it's the sense of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm driven more so i'm not really true i'm not i wouldn't say i'm driven by a high sense of male pride or my a high sense of male i wouldn't say ego or a high sense of male masculinity but like you know it's coming into this new era this new societal change that we're in you know i'm beginning to become more aware of my reflective side or becoming more aware of my sensitivities you know and that is something that is oftentimes you know, taken for granted or pushed away from Mm -hmm. a typical male identity. Mm -hmm. So that's good, which leads me into, I'm going to kind of adjust my question a little bit. 
And I want you to answer this in the context in which you were kind of raised, in particular your African identity and and how you were raised, but also what is distinct there from people who are raised in America? What differences did you see just in terms of American culture? What is it that makes Emmanuel who he is? What is it that makes you who you are? So you can say it in two words, striving and uncompromising. I say striving in the sense that just growing up, speaking from the African context, Ghanaian context, you know, my father and my mother, they've always told me, insofar as you're breathing, insofar as you're alive, insofar as you're existing, insofar as you're wanting to obtain, you know, your individual goals, right? You know, you shouldn't let societal blockades or societal limitations deny you of that fact. And just observing, you know, the literature that I've read, especially in the, in the conversations that I've had amongst African-Americans, just persons of color in general, you know, I've, I've sensed a sense of undue, what's it called? A sense of a lack of confidence in thyself, a, a sense of, of victimhood, a sense of victimhood. I'm not discounting that society that we live in, American society, you know, historically has, to a certain extent, caused cultural trauma caused or led to a sense of, you know, limitations on the people and on the personhood and caused constraints within the psyche and people to, you know, feel as if they can't progress or reach the standards in which they have envisioned for themselves. Within my context, I've been always brought up about strive regardless, you know, strive regardless of that fact, you know, and I guess having that as to a certain degree made me who I am, made me uncompromising you know that goes back to the next the next phrase uncompromising the next word uncompromising um uncompromising in that i'm essentially a go-getter you know essentially a go-getter i recall once once upon a time i think i shared it with you siku i call it even in our you know i go to uh, emory university's candler school of theology I've noticed, that's just this one example, I'm going to use another example afterwards, but I noticed, you know, even in just like scholarship noticed in, you know, just writing my writings and my academic acume, but I found, you know, professors and even professors of, of different hues or Caucasians, they even to a certain extent, I felt a sense of white fragility in them. You know, even just reading my scholarship, I even had one teaching assistant even say that, you know, I was trying to impress him you know, trying to impress him, you know, and I kind of, you know, I was taken aback, you know, I was thinking, am I trying to impress you or are you impressed by my academic acume or impressed by my forwardness or impressed by my complexity when it comes to academics that you sometimes perceive as not being innate in persons of color or Africans or whatever, however you want to see it, you know? So like from there, just moving on, you know, I've had, you know, Caucasians or other persons of different races, you know, even, even make sly remarks, you know, you're confident or you're overly confident overly confident so that overconfidence i think it has you know it's sometimes it's oftentimes taken as a sense of egoism that shouldn't be found within persons of color i guess that's just speaking from my own sense of my own perceptions 
And it's just time after time, you know, I've been presented through these comments, Emmanuel, you know, why are you so optimistic, Emmanuel? Why are you so confident, Emmanuel? Why are you so forthcoming in your attitudes and your approach of the world, you know? And these are comments or sly remarks from Westerners or I've been heard it from people of our, you know, complexion, you know, I've heard these comments from people of our complexions, a sense of perplexity or sense of, of what's it called? A sense of, of shock that, you know, how can I have so much enthusiasm in this world, given that I am a black man living in a racist America. And I say America with a K and not a C. So that's what really has, you know, and, and you know, my, my time, my dad tells me this all the time, you know, and that's what's really been formulating. That's what's really made me who I am and really has been a tenet of my cultural identity, social cultural identity, you know. I guess, and aside from this, I guess this identity also is, you all know W.E.D. Boys, right? W.E.D. Yeah. Boys, you know, he wrote, I forget the but he had a quote, he said something about being a Black man, being a Black scholar, or being a Black individual in America. Even Aristotle or Plato or Plutarch, they frown at him, you know, and they bark at him because of his existence. But regardless of that, you know, he still strives, you know, he still pushes in his identity and he doesn't want to compromise regardless. That's just an example of someone that I found to have a similar inclinations in self-identity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you hear the same things from people from the Ghanaian community? Yes, I've heard it even in conversations with our fellow Africans. And I guess, and even this mindset that I have, this mindset, you know, I guess it tends to lead to a sense of we're all the same color, we're all the same people, but even understanding this sense of striving that I've seen or sensed in, in Africans tends to lead to a sense of division or a sense of elitism. And I guess this sense of striving, regardless of, the, of one social cultural context that I've seen within other fellow Africans, you know, it tends to lead us or not me in particular, but it tends to lead many Africans to look down on African-Americans, you know, and it leads them to pick up a sense of a Eurocentric identity that classifies African-Americans or minorities in general or people belonging in the African diaspora as being, you know, a lazy people, you know, which is far from the truth, mm -hmm. which is far from the truth. So just moving closer and closer to my African identity, I realize this now, but that, that's not, that's not the division that I want, you know, that's not the division that I want. I want more so a unifying, I call it pan-Africanism or something like that, unification or something like that. But I want them, I want to like, you know, just, just read that, that elitist sentiment from, you know, Africans and just, let them be aware that it's collective, that mindset. And I'm not saying African-Americans are lazy, but some people, you know, trauma is, is inherited, but some people need that push to realize, you know, or fully embrace their identity. And that embracing or that identity that I'm speaking of is that, that sense of striving or that sense of reaching regardless and uncompromising striving regardless of the fact that regardless of what history has done to our people. It's my two-piece. No, it's all good. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. But I want to track back a little bit and understand a little bit more about you and your everyday life, because you said it initially when you told me about how you're feeling. You said a little bit about yeah. the different roles you play in your life and how do those roles impact your like identity and who you are. 
I start with the family then. So I'm the middle child, four siblings. I guess you can say that I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm a first generation college student. My mom has limited education. She didn't finish high school and stopped her education in sixth grade. You know, my dad, he has a bachelor's, but transfer, transferability, you know, transferring it into America, you know, is equivalent to an associate's degree. In the family, you know, since, you know, I'm, I'm by far one of the few educated people in my family. And just looking back in Ghana, there's even less educated people in my family back in Ghana. So like in the family, I'm more so of the, I'm more so you can say a, a flag bearer or a standard bearer, you know, people, you know, my family looks upon me to be that eventual person who brings, I want to say wealth brings a sense of pride and glory within our family, given that we came from poverty. So that's just family side. Repeat the question again. I'm sorry. You know, just go, go through the roles that you had. And then you already started, like, whenever you answer them, you say, like, how they've impacted you. Yeah, so just, you know, just looking at that, you know, just, you know, just just looking at my role, you know, just being the flag bearer in my family. It's been hard, you know, it's been hard, you know, because going back to identity-wise, I'm Black, right? And I'm Black for one second. I'm not from an affluent family, raised from poverty. And also, heard, you know, being, you know, one of the most educated people in my immediate family, it's hard. So just in my daily movements, you know, I've noticed that sometimes I have to find myself trying to hit the mold or mold myself to a world that, to a certain extent, is unwelcoming, but trying to fit, but also at the same time, molding myself into a person that you know my parents want me to be and i'm 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 not saying that my parents or my family members are the ones are the primary reasons why i do the things that i do but just growing up they've instilled in me the concept of i'm, I'm sure you all know the word um sankofa you know sankofa you know sankofa you know so i'm always looking back you know my actions are are oftentimes guiding by that you know so even just conversating with individuals, you know, conversating with people who don't look like me, you know, trying to get my foot in the door. It's oftentimes hard because I know that there's like, you know, a sense of, of lowering myself to a certain extent, you know, lowering myself to reach where I have to go, but knowing that it's for the right cause, but realizing at the same time, you know, that the cause that I'm really moving for, the cause that I'm trying to achieve within my family is at the same time, you know, I wouldn't say hurt. If I make sense, if it, I wouldn't say it's, it kind of hurts me the most, you know, because I kind of feel as if I'm living a dualistic identity, trying to navigate. I, w- I wouldn't say navigate, but navigate into a world that, that wants me to walk around wearing, wearing a suit and tie but I go back home to a world that wants me to speak tree, speak Akan or wear, you know, the dashiki or eat fufu. But then I transition to, you know, the working field and I have to speak a certain way. I have to wear a suit and tie. I have to do this, you know, and just it sometimes feel like I'm compromising my identity in the long run, you know, in my movement towards, you know. Mm you know, Western society and moving towards the Western world. It's a loaded question. I'm, it's all good. We I'm trying, man. I'm trying, man. I'm You're trying. hitting it. You're hitting. We'll just take that a step further. And this can go outside of your kind of nuclear family, but like, what is the nature of your relationship with other Black men and other Black people that are not men? 
That's a good question, you know, that you have to define what is manhood to a certain extent. My interactions with, I have to define what manhood is. I guess manhood to me has been a sense of, of responsibility, a sense of responsibility, not only to myself, but a responsibility to uh, my family, a sense of understanding that my actions are wholly interconnected with everyone and all that I associate with. So just in my conversations with Black men or individuals who don't possess such qualities, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit heartbroken, feel a little bit heartbroken, more so because I, I mean, I tend to question what's going on in the family. So just for example, do they have a figure that epitomizes manhood? You know, do they have a father that has brought them up properly? Or do they have in the entirety of their life, you know, lived in a family that's conceived or formed by just a mother? And that's one thing that I've observed that to a certain extent de demasculates, you know, Black men. So I, I start from the family, you know, and see, you know, do they have that male role model? Which for me, you know, I've been blessed to have male role models my whole life. My father is one, my uncle, I have mentors from university that have been that fatherly role model. Just speaking with, you know, persons or color, persons of color or African-Americans or Africans in general about that, that stereotypical or that, that male figure in the household, you know, I asked, are you trying, you know, have you found that? Even if you don't have that in your family, where are you looking? Have you found that figure to emulate? I read once in um, Kwame Nkrumah's um, book, Africa Rising, and, you know, he says, you know, you know, growing up, he... You know, he had male figures, but you don't necessarily have to have a, a male figure present or physically, you know, you can find someone to emulate. That's one question that I oftentimes ask, but it's not more so of emulation, you know, it's more so of, you know, even in emulation, it's more so about exposure. Have they been exposed to, to the resources, exposed to individuals who have the capacity to bring them up, you know, and instill them a sense of, you know, responsibility, a sense of maturity, a sense of understanding, a sense of pride that comes with, mm -hmm. you know, or black adulthood or within the male figure, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. I want to go down that road just a little bit more because you're touching on some stuff. Is that something that you are aware of when you encounter other Black men that they don't yeah, have those yeah. type of role models in, in their life? And then because of that, do you feel like that diminishes who they are or you feel like that there's more to be had in their life just in terms of their identity and sense of manhood if they had that yeah i've, I've, I've seen it i think i'm quite aware I'm, I'm quite aware of this and it's just by way of interaction and by way of you know how they present themselves to me you know just I've noticed various conversations, meaning greetings and even in their mannerisms, there's a sense of a lack of confidence, you know, a lack of pride. I greet strangers all the time, you know, but I make sure to greet, I take Marta, you know, I take Marta just back and forth to school or, or wherever I'm going, you know, and I oftentimes make it a point to, you know, even greet, you know, brothers and greet African-Americans in general. And, you know, shaking your pan, you know, and just, you know, that lack of eye contact, that lack of confidence that is seen or revealed within their voice, you know, is, is full expression to me. And then it pains me to know, that, you know, just, just for them to reveal their life to me, knowing that they haven't had that sense of, you know, that sense of identity that comes with having a male role model in their life. It pains my heart because I know that they shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be like that. And moving forward, you know, I try to not look at them as being diminished, 
I try not to look at them as being diminished, diminished at all. It's just a sense that they just need to be redirected in the right direction. That's why I say, you know, even without that typical male role model within the family, you know, just, you know, appointing towards the right, you know, literature, appointing towards the right resources can actually reinvite or reinvigorate that sense of, you know, dominance that I think or perceived is found within the Black male figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. That's layered, really layered, which is great. Yeah, you know. I mean, that just goes back to what I was saying, you know, that lack of victimhood that I sometimes, I think it's not within my being, you know. Like, I sometimes perceive it that, you know, if I didn't have father or if I didn't have male role models in my life, you know, like, I think at least, you know, insofar as, you know, we have that sense of wonder in us, we try to find a role model, a role model to perceive or use as a foot stand to bring ourselves up mm-hmm. and, and in doing so we can actually reach out and you know try to lift others too yeah you know, i'll give you a little bit about myself so you understand more about me we're yeah, a little sure. like because <laughs> my parents are from the caribbean so very similar yeah. like immigrant like yeah yeah you come here it, you yeah, learn this one <laughs> way of working and my dad was in the army yeah so yeah. i understand that both of those and my question kind of goes to that and kind of what you're saying what do you believe mm-hmm. it requires to be a man requirements of man so that's a good question (laughs) that's a good question you know i think for me i mean i don't think i i believe that one can only be a man if one is responsibility you know responsible you know that's just one word just responsibility and also a sense of commitment responsibility and a sense of commitment because how can you be a man if you're not responsible And when I say responsible, I'm talking about, you know, responsibility, having responsibility in yourself. A man cannot say that he wants to become a man if he is still living in an irresponsible life that is oftentimes found in the childhood or infancy. Responsibility is having the ability to stay committed in endeavors that you know is I wouldn't say, I mean, everyone has their own endeavors, you know, everyone has their own goals that they want to achieve in life, endeavors that will produce just fruits within their lives, you know, and also in the lives of the persons into which they are responsible for, i.e. their family, friends, and immediate social, cultural reality. So that's to me, you know, I can't see a man who is lacking, you know, a great sense of responsibility packed with commitment. But I hope I might. Yeah, it's all good. It's all, it's a hard, it's a hard decision, you know. Manhood, you know, it, it comes in all forms and shapes, and it just goes back to you know, how you was raised up, you know. So I guess for me, manhood is not only built up in responsibility and commitment, but it's also built up in a sense of mutual understanding, mutual understanding of where you fit in within your immediate context, but also where you fit in when it comes to people who depend on you the most. And where do you think you learned or influenced you, like you said, for that version of what manhood is, that definition? What influenced me? I guess it goes back to, you know, it just goes back to, you know, just, you know, just having that male figure in my family, you know, my dad, you know, my dad's just my dad. I think just, let me give you an example, you know, just rechiming on what I said about mutual understanding, you know. My dad, when he came to the United States, he knew that he had not only the responsibility to take care of myself, my mom, and my siblings, you know, but his responsibility was to also 
make sure that he took care of the people back home. So like he didn't want to, you know, just come to United States and just be successful in his own right. He wanted to be a bridge. He wanted to be that footbridge or that crossing that people back home could use to elevate themselves. He actually paid the school fee. Do you do they pay the school fees back in you said Caribbeans, right, Maxine? Yeah, my dad, Dominica, he does pay for school fees there. Mm, like Dominica. People, yeah. Yeah, Dominica. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so like, I mean, he came here, you know, he said, you know, like his understanding as a man, you know, was pretty much aimed at just making sure that not only that we were all right, that he wasn't just responsible for us in America, he was also responsible to prove back home, you know, so like he made an imperative, you know, to pay the school fees for at least five to six other family members. And they've graduated from high school, you know, they're doing great things right now, you know, so, but even just paying the school fees, you know, it actually built that sense of mutual understanding, that trust, that familiarity that painted him not only as a, I wouldn't say as a man, but also as a, a person to look up to, you know, and just looking at that standard that my dad has painted, you know, has really been the standard that I've actually painted within my life as a man. So manhood for you is also mm -hmm. tied to a communal legacy and building exactly exactly community you know, exactly. And kind of a tribal exactly oh, exactly mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I don't think uh you can be a man and you're a man cannot you cannot be a man you know I, what is it called you know no I, I have no man is an island onto himself, you know, no person is an island onto himself, you know, so I guess I use that phrase in myself as a man, you know, no man cannot exist without having communal relations within his family or within the people with, with, of which he's responsible for, you know, I guess that goes back to the whole idea of, you know, you know when I said the tree word, and Yemamini, they say it, and Yemamini, the sense of communal and civic pride. And for me, that's that's what makes me a man, and that's what installed in me that brings about manhood. Thanks for that. I'm gonna turn the corner a little <laughs> bit. That was rich. That was really rich and helpful and good to hear. What is one thing you often want to say, but you hold in for whatever reason, because you don't want to offend, because of how it might make you look but like, what is one thing that you often want to say that you think that is important to you to say, but you don't say? And that could be anything. Okay, I mean, let, me, let me say it, you know, God forbid. <laughs> I want to say, I, I've been, you know, just, I've just been, you know, I mean, I love everyone equally, you know, that's the essence of agape, you know, but you know, it, it's, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm beginning to, you know, just, just even just looking back on, you know, just reading history and just, just looking at the world in general, right? You know, I think that we all can say, I think, I'm not speaking for myself, I think I'm a closeted racist, you know? You know, not racist and, uh, you know, oh, burn the torches, you know, blah, 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 you know, but I'm a closeted. I think it's not, I wouldn't say hate, but it's also frustration, you know? And just moving, you know, just moving and navigating in the world, you know, just understanding, you know, so the cruelty that's been, you know, just, that's been done, upon our bodies just speaking from you know just the black experience you know it's just you know just that statement that i just made you know it's just the building up of frustration you know frustrated that insofar as you know i look the way i look insofar as i i am in essence me within this european western society can't really say that hey 
I'm a man to the fullest extent of my capacities. You know, I can't say, hey, look at me without having, you know, a Eurocentric head placed upon my black body. So I guess, you know, that's that underlying reality that makes me say that, you know, I'm a closeted racist, you know, closeted in the sense that America is racist, closeted in the sense that I can't fully express myself in so far as the racism existed in the world. And, you know, just having awareness of that limited reality that I have to maneuver within this space leads to that frustration and it leads to my my sense of anarchy or my sense of dissent within America or within the world that I exist in, you know. And I think it's true too. It's true for other you know, other people too. You know, I think we're living in a semi-quasi, you know, matrix. I might sound like a what's the word? I might sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot of things that go unsaid. There's a lot of things that people try to not say. But I mean I I feel like sometimes I think fanning Franz Fanon said, black faces, white masks. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. So I mean, exactly, you know, exactly, you know. So like, he's more than correct. When I walk outside, I put on a white face, sometimes black mask, white face, but with a black body. Because you have to be pervy of how you act around the world, given the way, the way we are, you know, you have to a certain way or try to, because that's how society, you know, the way society has painted us or put us or shown us to be, you know, as being barbarians or being, being, you know, threats, you know, so like, sometimes we have to fit that stereotype. Sometimes we have to fit that mold just to, you know, get our foot or sometimes I have to even watch what I post on my social media. I even find myself not even posting much or fully expressing myself on social media because I know I have potential employers or because I know I'm affiliated with primary, you know, Caucasian or Eurocentric affiliations that, you know, if I say something wrong or, or post something wrong, you know, it might have an undoing effect on my social progression mm. within a competitive America. Mm. So, I mean... That's you, I'll give you a fact to help you out. Yeah, you as a black person can never be racist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so exactly. you can you don't even have to say exactly. that. You're like, oh yeah, exactly. but you can be prejudiced. Yeah. <laughs> you can be prejudiced though. Prejudice, yeah, prejudice. <laughs> but yeah, prejudice. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> you, you gotta have power to be racist, right? Exactly. Yeah, you have power. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we don't have power. You know, we don't have. That's power, right. Yeah. So. That's right. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I'm. Now, if somebody ever says, like, you're racist, you're like, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. That's all good. No, it's all good. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is fine because that is what we learn in this world we live in. That's what we learn, you know? And it works for them in that way because if they teach you that any of that is racist, I'm like, no, it's not. This is just one of those things that, you know, that's kind of, you know, that understanding that, you know, that that I'm lacking, you know, lacking Mm -hmm. the power. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone wants power, you know, but... I don't want power just to, you know, just to use it to deny others or block people from social mobility, you know, you know, the power that I'm seeking is the power to speak truth, to, you know, bring a sense of social mobility and it bring a sense of, you know, upliftment, you know, but like understanding that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm I'm powerless to a certain extent, you know, and that's what's really leads to my, you know, my prejudice and it leads to my, you know, my sense of tininess in a world that, you know, oftentimes preaches, you know, go out and be great. How can I be great? you know if i have to find myself jumping obstacles and and maneuvering through flames and fires you know just to reach point go from point a to point b so it sounds very difficult to be this black man that is very like strong confident exactly okay yeah Yeah, exactly but in that sense 
what dreams do you have that you feel have been hindered because you're a black man? Right, I'm quite young if you are <laughs> where I'm still dreaming, but I, I know that I can't come up with an immediate, immediate answer for that right now, Maxime. Mm-hmm. I can't come up with immediate answer right now. I mean, it could be because, you know, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what call I'm not being pessimistic, but you know, I'm still trying to figure out what is the American dream for me in America. So I'm just trying to find, you know, my identity. I haven't really been, you know, confession. I haven't, I've observed indirect forms of prejudice, indirect forms of racism, but like insofar as my existence within America, I haven't personally found, you know, any blockades, at least to where I want to go in life, you know, blockades in my sense of becoming, but I'm aware of those blockades. But being aware of those blockades is understand that, you know, just the maneuvering in of itself, I have to be strategic and I have to lower myself to a certain extent just to even, you know, fathom or even dream about, you know, reaching point A from point B. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I want to be a PhD student and teach, you know, but it's just, I have to understand if, you know, at along, the, along the way, you know, when I am defending my dissertation or doing that. I have to my work and I have to be judged by probably a majority white panel judging me if my work is okay or good enough to be brought forth into academia. So just knowing that aspiring towards those goals, you know, I have to behave a certain way and behave as though, you know, I don't have any ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. that aren't in the interest of their agenda making. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So we have Emmanuel today in the midst of the coronavirus on top of all of these other kind of entrappings that kind of are barriers to you being your best self. And then you have your dreams and visions that are out in front of you. Between your now and then, or now and later, you have to navigate and negotiate yourself in a way that you can actually get to those places while still maintaining who Emmanuel and Posa is. Exactly, exactly. So with that, I'll ask this question, because it sounds like a lot, and I'm gonna go back to four, and I think you said six, but I'm gonna go back to four of the things you said. You said confused, upset, anxiety, and lost, and those are really powerful adjectives But in light of that, what kind of mental health needs do you have? What kind of ways are you able to work this out in a community so that you are able to be your full self as much as possible as you make your way to your dreams? Be asking by way of reaching out for help. In whatever way that looks like. It doesn't have to be professional help per se, but any type of support. I'll frame support is the better word. Just... This conversation, you know, I just, and I have conversations with my pastor, I have conversations with my dad, my family members, you know, I think they're the only, you know, immediate sense of support that I have in navigating this this confused world that I live in, you know, but aside from that, you know, you know, I, I can't, you know, pinpoint outside from my church and outside from my, you know, my church is predominantly, you know, Ghanaians, you know, just speaking with and just expressing to them, you know, my frustrations as 
not only as a student in a primarily white institution, you know, just understanding that they my back and their support, you know, has been motivational to a certain extent. The reason I, well, that's one of the questions we ask in general, but I'll say okay. personally, okay. I have a therapist with my, I don't have with, a therapist. I have a therapist with my <laughs> wife and I have my own personal therapist. Okay. That really helps me to navigate my reality okay. today from day to day beyond the relationships that I have. And it makes a world of difference. It makes a world of difference because they touch on stuff that, you know, my average family member, your average family member can't touch. It's a light is a game changer. Yeah. Um, so that's why we I, I don't have, a, I have a therapist. Just a thought. Cause that's what I have. I take pride in it and we need to demystify what it means. Yeah. Yeah. I have definitely. a therapist and I know it's like taboo to some people, but, it's a game changer Definitely. for me. Definitely. I totally agree with therapists. I have somebody different, like outside of circles, yeah. like, and especially somebody yeah. black that's different, give you feedback, yeah. you know, and, and like say, how do you break down what just happened? I get you. I get you. But I'm going to ask you something different. I want to get back okay. to what's one thing you fear to say because it'll make you appear less of a man? guess that I want to say it's okay to love you know it's okay to to mm. feel heartbroken it's okay to mm-hmm. to to cry you know I've had my shares of heartbreaks but like I, I've noticed I haven't really disclosed it more so to you know family members or you know or or even friends but more so because it, I feel as though you know it's kind of feminine to a certain extent it makes me womanish well it's it's kind of painted as you know expressing those feelings or emotions makes you less than a man and it makes you express what society considers to be womanish like behaviors and just given my you know my context you know that's something that is oftentimes frowned upon you know why are you crying you know why are you lamenting over your loss of a love or you know, why are you lamenting over of tragedy you know it's okay it's not good to cry you know it's not good to feel this way you know toughen up be a man quote unquote and that's just something that i've been dealing with for quite some time i sometimes you know i try to you know as a way to hide these emotions you know i sometimes you know i run a lot i jog a lot sometimes i find myself sometimes crying those emotions are are powerful you know and you know it's, it's not good to have them inside locked away but after i lament my eyes after i cry my eyes out after i express myself and just yell out of the bitterness of my soul you know i find myself returning back to an environment that preaches it's not okay to feel it's not okay to Mm -hmm. be emotive to a certain extent Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's you know thing that has really created a sense of lacking or a sense of or a hole that's been bored within my heart and bored within my soul. But I'm still working on, you know, I'm still working yeah. on it with prayers. I think there's power in your vulnerability. I think there's strength in it more so than yeah, how it's exactly. perceived. We just have to reframe how we perceive it in relationship to our manhood. And I'm speaking for exactly. me and I'm still working on that myself. This is a great conversation, Emmanuel. I tried, I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you did. <laughs> We're going to kind of wrap it up, but we're going to leave with two questions. I think Maxine probably has another one. And I think you kind of said it over the course of the podcast, but I'm just going to ask it explicitly. What does it mean for you to be free? What does that translate to you? What does that look like for you to be free? I guess, I mean, this is just going back on when I was talking about having to mold myself to try to fit in in a world that 
sometimes that in a world that makes me feel alien. I guess freedom to me, you know, is having the capacity to, to step outside and just say that I'm Emmanuel. Look at me for who I am. Look at me and all of my beauty. Look at me and my nakedness. Look at me with an understanding that my voice matters, that my contributions matter, and that wherever I go, you know, I have a seat at the table, a seat at the table in that no longer will I have to wear fake mask or live a facade or have to, you know, lie about my wants or my needs. No, no longer do I have to say that, you know, I want to be the head of this organization. I want to, you know, build schools for my people or I want to, you know, do this for the community or do that and that and A plus and B without relying on, you know, society's approval, without relying on, you know, a prejudiced society or racist society's approval, you know. I want to be wholly accepted for me and all my being, knowing that my givings to the outside world, you know, will be received with the same level of care and the same level of love that I hope to give to the rest of the people who oftentimes don't want to accept me. So freedom is living or moving or navigating sense of love that, you know, that is oftentimes, you know, expressed in the gospels. I hope I'm not bouncing around or just, so I guess, you know, that's for me is, you know, a sense of freedom, being able to, you know, exist in the world that embraces me in the same way that I want to embrace the world in the sense of love and authenticity without having to, you know, fake my way every single day just to, you know, just to have my voice heard. That's great. That's real. All right. So I'll ask you the final question. You've seen, obviously, because of COVID happening, the world has transformed. Like everything put on pause. You have to operate yeah. differently. You started with that. Now, what do you think will change in you? No, first in the world. And then what will change in you after this? I guess in the world, I mean, right now, prior to COVID-19, you know, what I observed, you know, I just saw fast moving world people not having the capacity to like, you know, look at people in the eyes or even having the capacity to spark a conversation or read or raise their hands to even help thy neighbor. So, you know, this slowing down has actually made people become more cognizant of that sharing and a sense of community matters. You know, so I guess the situation will build a sense of social cohesion at the same time, a sense of communopathy for, I think when I say communopathy, I'm saying, you know, a sense of compassion, a sense of love and a sense of care where care was not once available or, or a sense of care that you really wasn't really present with prior to COVID-19. You know, so like people will be more so cognizant that, you know, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to give the little you have just to help, you know, your flow who is in need. It's okay to, you know, to reach out. It's okay to, you know, gather and, you know, share. And it's okay to just embrace one another without feeling disconnected where the world was once disconnected, if I'm making any lick of sense. In right now, I see, you know, we're pretty much in a digital computerized world. But my question to this, my observations from this, you know, prior to this, you know, even with things being open, stores, works and job places, parks and recreational places being open, you know, people, you know, we pass by each other in the streets, but yet I've seen a sense of, I sense a sense of disconnection. But I guess being locked down in the house is making us more connected because we're pretty much being forced to face each other face-to-face, -face, even from a computer screen. 
And I guess moving forward, that longing touch, even from behind a computer screen, that longing for relatability, that longing for, what's the word, for community will be strengthened, you know, after COVID-19. What I examined wasn't really even that strong to begin with before, you know, everything went to the way it was. Yes, sir. Well. Thank you very much. Emmanuel, I appreciate you sharing your heart, brother, real. I appreciate you sharing your heart because, you know, we're going to share this with the world. And I think a lot of what you shared, people are going to resonate with that and find kind of some solace and some comfort in it. (laughs) In the fact that you shared that, but you also shared it with a community of people who care about you and appreciate you. And this is the kind of community we need to continue to build so that we have a safe space to express our blackness without judgment, right? So we appreciate you. Thank you for introducing yourself to us. And we are thinking about you and your family and hoping that everybody stays safe and strong. All right, brother. Midasi, Emmanuel. We appreciate you sharing how you're straddling your Ghanaian culture with the U.S. culture. In that balancing act, you're trying to redefine what does masculinity look like for you. Also, for saying what many of us won't say, but are definitely feeling, while our world is in the midst of a major transition. We recorded your episode early on during the U.S. lockdown, but your admission of missing and trying to find purpose is one that we all wrestle with in some way. I hope this helps us all find the courage to take the time to try things out and commune with ourselves, to find out who we are and what impact we want to have on this planet. This is another episode of Let Me Introduce Myself. Look out for the next episode coming soon, and be safe.